0: This is Patron Driven, crowdsource library stories where the personal and professional meet. I'm Mark Dirks.
1: And I'm Bill Mickey. Each season brings you a long form narrative that happens in, around, or because of libraries. They're dramatic, personal. And occasionally humorous. They showcase the small things.
0: And the unexpected
1: things. That libraries are a part of. We work for Choice, a publishing unit of the Association of College and Research Libraries, a division of the American Library Association.
0: We know that's a mouthful, but part of the reason we say it before every episode is because it reminds us why we do this.
1: Not just because we love a good yarn, and we've got a great one for you this season, but because our job is to serve librarians, libraries, and their patrons.
0: Libraries are the lifeblood of their communities, and we exist to help them do their best work, to bring you their tales, and to raise their profile.
1: In May 2019, we asked community college librarians all over the country to send us their stories.
0: We heard from librarians in Iowa, in Michigan, in Florida, in California, and Texas, from all over the country.
1: So when we say we crowdsource these stories, we mean it. And we're always looking for more. So if you've got a story to tell, send it our way. Go to choice360.org to find out how.
0: Of all the stories you told us, The one that blew us away was the story of the Lone Star College Kingwood Library. Their one campus in the Lone Star Community College system in Houston.
1: In 2017, Hurricane Harvey flooded the campus.
0: But this isn't just a story about a flood. You'll see what life was like for four library staff before the hurricane. You'll get a close up
1: look at the damage in the days of frantic texting and house meetings that followed.
0: You'll witness the library's relocations and adaptations
1: the resilience and grit needed to face seemingly insurmountable challenges.
0: Most of all, you'll get to know four women who went from co-workers to family as they envisioned and built something remarkable.
1: Part One, Introductions
0: Anne McGinnigan didn't know that Thursday... August 25th, 2017, was going to be her last day in the library for nearly two years. She was the circulation coordinator at the Lone Star College Kingwood campus, and when she arrived at work at 6.30 a.m., the early morning air was already warm, 80 degrees, and the sky was cloudy. She didn't feel particularly well. She'd been to the doctors yesterday because her gallbladder was inflamed, and with the hurricane coming, she wanted to get her health in order. She parked her car, probably locked it up, and went to do what she does most every day.
2: I'm the opener. Um, I'd be helping to turn on the computers, the copiers, everything that had to do with the library, the ID machine. So everything had to be turned on and logged in before the first student even walked in the door. I was the one that uh, did the receipt book, make sure that it was, it was ready, the cash box, make sure all the, uh, the money end of it was okay.
1: Anne ran the circulation desk where students checked out books or retrieved materials that their instructors had put on hold, things like textbooks and reference materials. Before the hurricane, her job was like the jobs of circulation coordinators at community college libraries all across the country. But her job was about to change dramatically. The library was about to change. To appreciate that change, you've got to know a little bit about the space itself. The Kingwood Library was built in 1984. About 40,000 items occupied its shelves and storage nooks, mainly books, but other things too. A pair of skeletons for nursing students, a collection of dolls on loan from a librarian, headphones, microscopes, DVDs, a whole
0: variety of objects the library loaned to patrons. The circulation desk was right by the door for obvious reasons. Looking out from the circulation desk, you would see rows of tables that made up a large group study area. A bank of computers capped that area's left-hand side and served as a buffer between it and the silent section. The circulation crew could look sort of kitty-corner and see their colleagues in the reference section, rows of computers and squat wood-grain shelves filled in the space. When you picture the library, think conservative 80s institutional, The same brown brick that was on the outside of the building made appearances inside on a few walls and columns. Overall, bookshelves dominated the space. The rows between them were dark and shadowed, making titles hard to read. But the shelves were trying hard to inspire confidence and project authority. Everything about the space was. Even the pink cushions on the chairs had that puffed, shoulder-padded look from the 80s. When we first interviewed the four library
1: staff...
2: This is Anne McGinnigan. I'm Mika Mitchell. This is Jennifer Martinez. Hi, I'm Allison Hesse.
1: They were unanimous in their complaints about the library before Harvey.
2: We call pre-Harvey Library the dungeon.
1: (laughs) It was
3: dark and musty. Nobody wanted to be in it. Remember, we said we just wanted new carpet. We hadn't had new carpet in forever.
0: You can hear in her voice that she's joking a bit, but, you know, it's the kind of joke with some truth to it. The space was old. They wanted to replace the carpet. Frankly, the library was old, and that held them back. They knew modern students needed lots of power outlets for all of their devices, and they did what they could to bring them power. It just turned out <laughs> that all they could do was to run some ugly electrical poles down from the ceiling. In 2017, Anne, Mika, Allison, and Jennifer had hopes for the space. They dreamed about what it could be on campus, but the building itself was holding them back. Even so, they did what they could to make it more than it was.
2: We've always been well reputed as trying to push the boundaries as much as we could, but doing so in a very quiet and hidden manner.
1: During the first week of school, the Cirque Desk was usually a busy place students came to the library to get their IDs the ID provided them with access to all of the services the Kingwood campus offered it allowed them to check out books from the library of course but it also gave them access to the gym and the dining halls all the typical college stuff
2: my job description was teaching this spare assistance and reinforcing how to check in check out make IDs um, we processed the book for interlibrary loans. And on any given day, we had at least 10 to 20 bins going out daily. Mm -hmm. And all that changed overnight.
0: To clarify a bit, Anne had and still has a position of real authority. People depended on her to help them solve problems and to make sure they could do their jobs as efficiently and effectively as possible. And those interlibrary loan bins we're talking like, 30-gallon plastic tubs with lids. How many books do you think fit into a 30-gallon tub? (laughs) Well, I'm the sort of nerdy that, like, actually finds that sort of thing out, so I devised an unscientific but, I hope, moderately amusing test. At my house, we use 30-gallon plastic bins to collect our recycling, just like the ones they used for interlibrary loan. I emptied one of our recycling bins and filled it up with books three different times, trying to represent different packing styles and different levels of efficiency. Because I worry about boring you, I won't go into exactly how I did it, but suffice it to say the ground rules were I couldn't damage or bend books, and I had to be relatively confident that the books could travel unharmed. Seems reasonable to you listening out there, doesn't it?
1: I suppose it sounds reasonable.
0: Hey, Bill. I was just going to explain about ILL and the bins and...
1: Mark, there's a certain level of nerdiness that cannot go uncommented upon.
0: And I have just achieved it, haven't I?
1: You sure have.
0: All right. I'll keep it quick then. As I was saying, no damage, no bending, gotta travel. The first time I fit 63 books, 65 the second time, and 64 the third. Each time the boxes weighed in at 53.8 pounds, except for the third, which is when it weighed in at 52.2. That's a little weird because it had more books in it than the first time, but, you know, that's the whole unscientific part of this thing. Oh, and I used my household digital scale, so ditto the unscientific thing. Using Anne's numbers of 10 to 20 boxes a day, the library was moving anywhere from about 640 to 1,280 books through interlibrary loan, with a grand total weight of between 1,600 and about 3,200 pounds. I don't know if they ever calculated that out themselves, but me, I'm impressed.
1: So, long story short, that's a lot of books.
0: Yeah, I suppose. So yeah, you could study in the library and yeah, you could access a computer, but the majority of the space was designed for one thing, books. That of course, changes after Harvey. A little later in the morning... But not all that much later, 7.30 a.m., these ladies are early risers, Allison showed up. She worked with Ann at the circ desk, and she was the number two in charge there. She directly managed the student workers and part-timers.
1: Because Hurricane Harvey is such a before and after moment for the Lone Star College Kingwood Library, here's Allison on what a typical day was like for her pre-Harvey.
4: My job title is uh, Specialist Three Circulation. I am Anne's backup, so on a daily basis I was basically just handling circulation responsibilities, uh, checking in and out books, making student ID cards, um, anything associated with the books. And then I also helped uh, the reference librarian maintain our periodical, our serial. Section
0: For those listening who are not library workers, I think it bears pointing out just how detail-oriented Allison's job is. And that clip, it shows you that she is clearly a details person. I cite the way she gave you her exact job title, specialist three, circulation. If you look at the library webpage, she's listed as circulation assistant. Way less precise. Anyway, if you've never managed a serials collection, Here's what goes into that.
4: Okay, the cereals for Harvey, we had all of those uh, on a wall. And, you know, as they came in, every month we would have to display them and the old ones, you know, at the top of the pile and the new ones were displayed. Easier for people to see. And when we shelf read, uh, we go down each shelf, and make sure that the books are in the correct order, um, according to the Library of Congress.
1: Anne and Allison worked, in part, like they would on any Thursday before the start of a fall semester, handling returns and checkouts, doing what you got to do with the serials collection. But there was a hurricane coming, and there were certain things you just do to prepare for them. It wasn't a big deal, but the power almost always went out, and the library had a fair number of electronic devices, so they systematically unplugged those that weren't in use. The day wore on, and about 10 a.m., Anne got a call from her doctor with news about her gallbladder. She needed surgery ASAP, so she snagged the first available appointment.
0: There's something else you should know about Anne. Back in April of 2017, she finished her final course of chemotherapy for lymphoma. That was probably the biggest challenge in her life. And she told us that before Harvey, she thought she was through all the hard stuff. So even though she's prepping for a hurricane and her gallbladder bothering her, she's hopeful. She knows how to deal with problems. She's had her fair share. After her phone call, she went back to work.
1: She ticked through items behind the circulation desk. There was cash in the cash drawer, which they were supposed to take to the bursar, but there was so much else to do that she left it there. She kept all of her backup files on a thumb drive at our station. She left her ID there too. Everything was neat and orderly. Unless the power was still out, they'd almost certainly be back on Monday. Part 2. The hurricane. Before we go any further, we would be remiss if we didn't mention Harvey at all, because the hurricane itself walks a strange path to infamy, and really, the storm causes the damage. It's a part of the story, even if it's not a character, per se. And the path the storm takes to Kingwood, Texas, when I started reading about it, it intrigued me, because it's not a straight line. It's a story full of zigs and squiggles and almosts. Understanding Harvey requires a bit of background. I promise, it's not too much, but hopefully it's enough to leave you feeling a little more informed having heard it. Harvey was born as a hot wind that blew off Africa and onto the tropical Atlantic. It was dry, and as it passed over the summer warm waters, it accrued moisture. For a while, it was simply a long line of clouds drifting over the Atlantic Ocean. But eventually, that warm, moist air rose through an area of low pressure, and the hot, tropical waters formed a vertical tunnel through which even more air rose. At this point, the National Weather Service was paying attention to the line of clouds and storms, but not much. They gave it the uninspiring moniker Tropical Wave 9. Tropical Wave 9 didn't look like it would amount to much at that point. In fact, on August 13th, it would disorganize and almost disperse. But it didn't. Instead, over 96 hours, it crossed the Atlantic Ridge in the Guyana Basin and its low-pressure system strengthened to a tropical depression as it passed over the ever-warming waters of the eastern Caribbean. On August 17th, the National Weather Service issued warnings about Tropical Cyclone 9 for the Windward Islands. The next day, Tropical Cyclone 9 strengthened into Tropical Storm Harvey. Part 3 – The San Jacinto
0: Forty-seven miles north of the Lone Star Kingwood Library, the West Fork of the San Jacinto River starts at the confluence of White Oak Creek, the Cassidy Branch, and the Welch Branch. From there, it meanders through flat, forested country spotted with pump jacks. Their great metal hammers rise and fall as they slurp the last drafts of oil from low-yield wells. Eventually, the San Jack, as locals call it, passes through the tip of the Sam Houston National Forest, where it feeds the Lake Conroe Reservoir. The San Jacinto
1: River Authority is responsible for maintaining the water level in Lake Conroe through a dam at the southernmost point on the lake. The San Jacinto River flows out of that dam. Eventually, Houston sprawls around the river, not the skyscrapers and high-rises of downtown, but the tree-lined neighborhoods of Conroe, the Woodlands, and Kingwood. Kingwood's a planned community, replete with man-made lakes and squiggly subdivisions that snail shell out from the town center. The original developers dubbed it the Livable Forest. The San Jacinto winds through the western portion of the neighborhood. And, most important to our story, its banks are seven-tenths of a mile from the Lone Star-Kingwood campus.
0: A bit about Lone Star College. As Bill mentioned earlier, it's really a college system. It has seven campuses spread around Houston, each with its own library, classroom spaces, student commons. And that structure, the college system, plays an important role in how the Kingwood campus recovered from the damage Harvey did to it. In all, the Lone Star system serves around 87,000 students. On the Friday we're examining, about 13,000 of them were enrolled at the Kingwood campus.
4: Um, Well, we offer all of the beginning courses, you know, like history, government, Mm -hmm. English, et cetera, uh, for students beginning their college experience. And then some workforce programs that we specialize in are nursing, dental hygiene, um, Cosmetology. Cosmetology. We have a good computer gaming uh, program,
3: Uh occupational therapy, respiratory therapy.
0: Part four, Landfall at the Yucatan.
1: On the Saturday before Hurricane Harvey made landfall, the storm wasn't barreling across the Caribbean, sowing destruction and taking lives. Instead, it was weakening, which seemed weird to me, but probably only because, like most people, I only think about hurricanes when they're slamming New York or Miami. But there's a whole history to each of these storms. They grow and change and behave unpredictably. And that is most certainly the case with Hurricane Harvey. After passing over the easternmost Bahamian islands, Harvey continued its western course over the Caribbean Sea. When it reached Mexico's Yucatan Peninsula on August 22nd, it did so as nothing more than an unorganized line of storms, a tropical wave. By midnight on August 23rd, Harvey exited the Yucatan and creeped across the Gulf of Mexico, strengthening once again to a tropical depression with winds of less than 39 miles per hour.
0: To give you a little context about wind speed, here in Middletown, Connecticut, where the Choice offices are, we recently had 30 mile per hour winds. I was out walking in them, so for sure 30 mile an hour winds, at least in gusts, are not super threatening. I will say, when I was walking under big trees, I sped up. Tree branches were visibly bowing and bending. A little more pressure, say, 40 miles per hour, and I would have been pretty worried. I might have been able to stand there, but I'm kind of a meaty guy. I'd have been thinking about my house. would hope hoped my roofer had done a good job. Even yesterday, trash cans were blowing around. One scooted all the way across a parking lot, so that's 30 miles an hour. It'll blow over trash cans, make you think twice about the weather. How does that compare to hurricane-force winds? The National Weather Service uses what's called the Saffir-Simpson scale to classify hurricanes. According to the scale, 73 miles per hour is the minimum sustained wind speed necessary to classify a storm as a hurricane. More than twice the wind speed of our little Middletown excursion. Imagine what that would do to your trash bins.
1: By 6 p.m. Central Time on August 23rd, Harvey had intensified to a tropical storm with winds of 40 miles per hour. And then, according to the National Weather Service, from 6 p.m. on the 23rd to noon on the 24th, the day before landfall, Harvey went from a weak tropical storm to a strong one, with winds nearing 70 miles per hour. We followed the storm's progress for more than 10 days, and in all that time, Harvey had barely earned a name, but in just 18 hours, the storm doubled in strength. This was the beginning of Harvey's sudden ramp-up.
0: Part 5, Final Introductions So, there are two more people you need to meet. They're Mika Mitchell and Jennifer Martinez. While Anne and Allison worked on the student-facing side of the library, out at the circulation desk, Mika and Jennifer's roles were a little different. Mika's a librarian, so she spent some time at the reference desk, but she also worked closely with faculty, helping them design assignments, she taught, that sort of thing. Jennifer's the division operations manager. Really, she's more in the administration than in a student-facing role, and before Harvey, much of what she did was manage budgets— and by managing budgets, we mean she bought books. Here's what Mika told us about her day-to-day.
2: I, As a liaison librarian for various different subject areas, I would be running around campus, uh, connecting with faculty, trying to schedule instruction sessions, um, maybe help them design a new uh, research assignment where they just wanted to bounce ideas off me or we would make sure we had um, book reserves for their classes. So there was a lot of just sort of getting ready for the school year that would be taking place. And then just for a regular, school day sort of thing. It would be coming in, checking my email, uh, following up on any instruction requests or making lesson plans and um, maybe doing some collection development. There are always, always stuff to do, maybe working on a lead guide for a class. Um, That was the normal.
1: From our conversations with Mika, I can tell you that she is a thoughtful, attentive person who's very in tune with her own and others' needs. She showed up to our interviews with her notebook full of details about what happened during Harvey and the library's journey to recovery.
0: Her office is important, too. Photos of her journeys to Norway and Panama were arranged like jigsaw puzzle pieces on her wall, a big one occupying a corner in front of a filing cabinet, a smaller picture offset beneath it, with more pictures cascading down the wall toward her desk. She's from Ontario. Pictures of her friends serve to remind her of home. Two glass balls hung from the ceiling. They were delicate things, totally unique, because no bit of blown glass, no matter how expertly crafted, is ever the same. The conditions vary. The human breath varies.
2: The interior had multiple colors, and they bloomed out like trees around the exterior but. And um, my friends gave them to me, sort of uh, the artist had kind of made them symbolically representing friendship and family, but it was very beautiful and um, always made me think of my friends up in Canada.
1: From what I can tell talking with Jennifer Martinez, she gets things done, all the things. She's pleasant, tough, and fiercely intelligent, just a real open and welcoming force. She was a criminal justice major, and knowing that, you can kind of see how that fits with her personality.
3: I have a degree in science criminal justice, and I had a Time magazine that was, I guess, a limited edition. I don't know, my mother bought it for me, with all um, serial killers. And so that was sitting on, you know, one of my tables that I bought with my personal money, you know, sitting, that was in my office. So it's just personal things about your space that you wanted in your space that you can't get back.
0: Now you've been introduced to each of the principals. Anne, Allison, Mika, and Jennifer, on August 25th, 2017, they were all present at the library. They knew Harvey was out in the Gulf, but on that day, it was just another hurricane to them. Anne, Allison, and Jennifer had all been through hurricanes before. Anne had lived in Kingwood pretty much since the community opened back in the 70s. She'd raised her kids there. Jennifer had worked at the Kingwood campus for about a decade. Both had seen the effects of Hurricane Ike. But even in that terrible storm, the most the campus had ever suffered were power outages, maybe a bit of street flooding. This was Mika's first hurricane, but she took her cue from the others and carried on as usual until Dr. Catherine Person, the campus president, sent word that the campus was closing early. That's when their preparation kicked into high gear.
3: Everybody make sure you get your food out of the refrigerator so when we come back on, you know, when we when we finally <laughs> yeah. come back, if we have any electrical issues, it won't smell up the place. Right. Boy, did like, me. Most of us oh. just
2: prepared like we would with any sort of uh, weather-related incident. Mm-hmm. We stocked up on food. Water. Made, water. water. made sure we had batteries and... Gas. Yeah, gas. Okay. And, Ice, is a hot,
3: mode. Hot, ice <laughs> is a hot commodity. Yeah. Like don't like don't yeah. take ice for granted. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those. It's just one of those things. So when you live in this area, you you kind of learn to prepare. Prepare.
0: Mm-hmm. Jennifer was particularly on about the fridge.
3: Like twenty five employees' lunches are you know. Or ketchup or mayonnaise that's left in there. It doesn't. Uh, frozen dinners they don't. Smell, dinners. They don't smell that great when you come in. <laughs> so that's what we were gearing up for. Was like what will be what will make it more pleasant <laughs> when we come back, um, and then not damaging the electrical, um, the electrical items that we have like the computers and such. That's what we were gearing up for. That is all we were gearing up for.
0: Part six, Texas Shorefall.
1: By the time Dr. Person closed down the campus, Harvey had gone from a Category 1 to a Category 2 storm with wind speeds estimated at 100 miles per hour. Between 1 p.m. just after the campus closed and 10 p.m. on August 25th, Harvey swelled to a massive Category 4 storm. When it made landfall at right about 10 p.m., Harvey's eyewall came ashore with peak gusts of 145 miles per hour measured at the Aransas County Airport. Here's the description of the likely destruction for a Category 4 storm from the National Hurricane Center, and I quote, Well-built, framed homes can sustain severe damage with loss of most of the roof structure and or some exterior walls. Most trees will be snapped or uprooted and power poles downed. Fallen trees and power poles will isolate residential areas. Power outages will last weeks to possibly months most of the area will be uninhabitable for weeks or months," end quote. Uninhabitable for weeks or months.
0: For Anne, Allison, Mika, and Jennifer, Hurricane Harvey is clearly one of those before and after events. Before the hurricane, they did their jobs. They went through their day-to-day. One long rainstorm would change all that. Next
1: time on Patron Driven, episode two, The Deluge.
3: People
4: were evacuating because their homes were being flooded. I could see the water rising uh, down one of the streets within walking distance.
0: Huge thanks to Allison Huffy, Anne McGittigan, Jennifer Martinez, and Mika Mitchell, without whom we would not have known about or been able to produce this series, and a shout-out to the Lone Star College system and the Kingwood campus in particular. The song November is written and performed by Kai Engel and is used under a CCBY 3.0 Creative Commons license. You can find November on the freemusicarchive.org. I wrote this episode, Sabrina Cofer and Bill Mickey provided invaluable developmental edits, and Sabrina Kofer provided audio engineering assistance. I produced and engineered the episode.